This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. What's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates with the Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That's ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the code BXP. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Oh, very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and we have a fantastic, incredible guest for you today. But before we dive in, we just want to say a big thank you to our show sponsors, Scrivener the official writing app of the bestseller experiment and if you haven't tried it you must they've just released an ios app that you can use to get your scrivener text all up in the cloud so you can work wherever you are so if you want to check it out please head on over to literatureandlatte.com where you can try your 30-day trial of scrivener so mark would you like to tell our amazing audience which amazing guest we've got today it's michael connolly mark mr connolly just um, just the, the most successful American crime writer, Evs. Uh, he's, he's amazing. And uh, he was in the UK recently promoting his new book, The Wrong Side of Goodbye, which is a Harry Bosch novel. Now, if you're uh, an Amazon Prime TV customer, you'll know all about Harry Bosch because it was the first TV series commissioned by Amazon as their, their first standalone TV show. And it's just been renewed for, I think, a fourth season, uh, starring Titus Welliver as, as Harry Bosch. And these are just, you know, really, fantastically compelling crime dramas set on the mean streets of LA uh, and Harry is a regular recurring character for Michael um, Michael started out as a, a crime journalist uh, on the LA Times and various newspapers uh, and he's now written 29 novels uh, one work of non-fiction which we do talk about in the interview he's sold over 60 million copies of his books worldwide he's translated all over the world and he's just one of the big authors on in the world today so i got the opportunity to spend 10 minutes in the back of a car with him <laughs> he he'd just come out of a, an interview with uh, audible in the uk and i was uh, waiting outside uh invited i should hasten to say well now you say that mark we know the actual story the actual story is the car was going past mark, michael, was, on his, michael. mark was on his way mark was on his You're way number to one the fan. Exactly. He was on the way to the tube and he saw this cab go past with Michael Connolly and he started sprinting, which, you know, I remember back to our sports day at school and that is a sight to behold. But he started sprinting down the road. 
It was at least 30 miles an hour the cab was going. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, it had a roof rack and I was able to climb on the top, so. Was it through the sunroof and uh, <laughs> yeah. you managed, yeah. to, managed to take over the steering wheel? Yeah, well, you know, anything for the podcast, you know me, Mark. <laughs> anything for the podcast. Uh, actually, you know, kudos to the publicist, Ben, who, I mean, when you see the schedule for these authors when they come to the UK, it is by the minute. Mm. And he, Michael had got off the plane, he went straight to Audible, he did the interview there, he got in the car and Ben said, uh, you've got like 10 minutes between, you know, from the car, picking him up and taking Michael T's hotel. He hadn't even checked into his hotel yet. <laughs> and and he, and he had to put up with me asking him questions in the back of a car. So, um, you know, uh, kudos to, to the publicist, Ben, for getting us in there. And actually, because of the traffic, we got about 15 minutes, which is great. Yeah. We actually paid someone to spill a load of oranges off the back of their truck. <laughs> so this is Mark in the back of a cab in London with none other than Michael Connolly. Michael Connolly, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Very Thanks good. for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Now, uh, wrong side of goodbye, you're returning to uh, Harry Bosch and Mickey Haller again this time. What is it about these two characters that, that you keep coming back to them? Um, I, just, I guess the quick answer is that I feel unfinished business about both of them. I, I think there's always more to say or so far that's how I felt and that's why I bring them back um, you know there's other characters I've written about and after one or two books I feel like I've said what there needs to be said um, so it's a really hard thing to like pinpoint why like why is there more to say about Harry Bosch I don't really know but he just remains intriguing to me and as long as you have that as a writer you know, you're going to dive in and, and go back to those kind of characters. Would it be fair to say there's quite a bit of Harry Bosch, of you in Harry Bosch? Yeah, it's fair to say that now. It really depends. You know, I've written about him for about 25 years, and initially I wanted to write about someone completely different from me because I had no idea whether that book would ever get published, and I wanted to have fun during the year or two that I wrote it. Um, so initially we were nothing alike and then I got lucky and it got published and then there was a call for another book and then another book and over time keeping that separation was really impossible so I started sharing more and more with him probably most notably is um, that we have daughters the same age so the whole fatherhood concept is a shared experience between me and Harry was that, was that ever intimidating? You know, when you're about two or three books in, did you ever think, okay, I have a serious character. Am I worried he's ever going to run out of steam? Am I going to have to put more of me in there? Did that ever give you pause? No, not really. I mean, I guess, I don't know. If you're going to do this for a living, I guess you have to have some level of confidence that you're, you have more than one character in you. So I always felt like I would know ahead of any readers or critics that, Harry's gotten, I've run out of steam and it's time to end the series and I will just come up with something else. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to ever be in a position where I feel like I'm kind of keeping him on life support or something just so I can kick out another book. I, you know, when I feel that, I think that's the time to end the series. Okay, your background is in journalism. And one of my favorite books of yours is, in fact, Crime Beat, which is the the collection of nonfiction right. articles. Now, one of the things with reality and a lot of the, the stories in Crime Beat is they don't necessarily have a happy ending or even a resolution. There's a lot of open endings there. Right. Is your fiction some way of redressing that? 
I guess it is in a way. I mean, some of the books I've written have been inspired by stories I wrote as a newspaper reporter that didn't have endings. Um, I remember, you know, when I retired from being a journalist and was a full-time writer and I was clearing out my file cabinets at the newspaper, I had tons of files that I would open when uh, there was a murder or something I wrote about. I would create a file and I would, I'd write inside it the detective's name and number and, I, and put anything that was uh, pertinent to that case into that file so I'd be ready to go when, as soon as they caught somebody. And I was like getting rid of dozens of files of cases that they didn't catch anybody. So it was a really, it was like a you know, cold water in the face that I was leaving that world of reality to become a writer whose books always have everything tied up at the end. So it was, I don't know, it was kind of a, a bit of a dark day, but it was also a good reminder um, to not tie everything up. There's always going to be loose ends. And yes, I have to, you know, conclude a big, um, you know, mystery at the end of every book because that's why people read them. But I, I, it was a great reminder to, to not solve everything, to always leave something untied, even if that bothers a reader. It's my little acknowledgement that crime fiction is quite different from crime nonfiction. Harry, of course, in some of the more recent novels, he has been working cold cases. He has been going back and opening up those cases. Looking back at the crime beat stories, is there a case that you'd want to go back to and, and reopen? Or yeah, there's one. It's called the Vic Weiss case, um, and I actually did write a novel called Trunk Music that um, kind of solved it, you know. But the reality of the case: this was a guy who was like a car dealer, kind of famous because he did commercials and stuff in Los Angeles. He was found in the trunk of his car, shot to death. His Rolls Royce, in fact. And that was never solved. And um, I got to know the detectives on that case pretty well and spent time with them. And, uh, you know, they had their theories, but they just had nothing they could ever prove. And it's kind of been a uh, lasting mystery in Los Angeles that would be really interesting to know what really happened. Now, how important is making an emotional connection for you? Because a lot of crime novels, they're seen as puzzles to be solved, you know, the locked room mystery, that sort of thing. But certainly with your books, there's a lot of focus on the cops, there's a lot of focus on the victims. How important is that emotional connection with the reader for you? Well, I mean, it's first of all, it's really important for me as a writer. I just don't want to write a, you know, a perfectly honed uh, plot. Um, to me, that's window dressing on a character story. So, you, so I always want to have a character at the center of the story, and you know, and that brings in the emotional stakes and so forth. And that's how I get through, you know, a year of uh, writing a book. That's quite a different thing than reading a book, which can take you, you know, you know, two, three a week, days a week, you know, something something much shorter. So I have to make sure I'm plugged in to write the book and if that works I just have this belief if it works for me then it's going to work for the reader but I also you know sorry for the long answers but <laughs> I, I do think that's what the readers are looking for there is a percentage that just want to be fooled or, or they want to outsmart the writer and all that's fine but I think generally readers are looking for uh, an emotional connection uh, with a character um, you know an emotional experience 
Has a reader ever given you feedback on a book or uh, spoken to you about something that you thought, that's not what I intended, but actually you're, you're, completely, you're completely spot on there? Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, but that's happened a few times where it's funny. It's usually someone gets a higher meaning or metaphor out of something <laughs> that you either had no idea about or it was subconscious and it, and it is there and it works. And of course your answer is always, Oh yeah, I meant that. (laughs) (laughs) How has your writing technique changed since you started out? I mean, you're a journalist, so you're used to hitting deadlines. You're probably a very efficient writer as well. There's, there's no, there's no fat in your books. Um, but in terms of sitting down at your desk and writing, how has that changed over the last few years? The only, the big change is, is the distractions outside of that. But the actual work when you're at, at your desk or at your computer, for me, hasn't changed. It's to me, the changes are, are getting to that desk, you know, getting the time to get there. Um, you know, there's a TV show now based on Bosch that I'm involved in. There's, um, book tours and so forth. And, you know, it, my life has gotten more complicated. And by that, I mean, it, it just makes the time that I'm, in a room by myself, in the locked room by myself, trying to create and write, it makes those times more precious because they're harder to get to. That room hasn't changed, but I would say um, one thing that has changed is is my ever-developing skill to be able to write when I'm not in that room, like write on planes, write in the back of cars, write write while waiting for planes. in hotel rooms, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird. It's come back full circle to journalism where you just had to write every day. And sometimes you had to write on a telephone, right. calling someone who's writing it for you and working out over a phone and so forth. Um, more of a catch is catch can lifestyle <laughs> and, 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 and writing style. And that's, it's kind of more like that now for me. Are you someone who outlines very much, or do you tend to jump in with both feet, feet these days? I went through many years of never outlining, never putting anything on paper. It was just more fun to write that way. In my head, I would know the beginning and the end, and that's all I needed and to start off. And then about four years ago, we started working on a television show um, based on Bosch. And, you know, we have a writing staff and we sit in a room and we essentially outline. We put three by five cars up on the wall for each episode and they're very heavily outlined in that way. And I began to kind of see the merit in that. And that's kind of influenced my writing as of late. I don't do the cards on the wall type thing, but now I'm I'm writing more stuff down in a notebook. Um you know, maybe that's a function of age where I'm worried I'm going to forget it or something. But, but I, you know, I wrote maybe 20 books without ever putting anything on paper other than the book itself. Right. And I don't do that so much anymore. Okay. But as a, as a consequence of working with TV writers, it's, it's changing your technique. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I've, I've enjoyed being in those rooms where things are talked out and I'm so used to being in a room by myself where yeah, I guess I could talk to myself if I wanted to, but basically it's just, <laughs> just me against the blank screen of the computer. Um, and I've, I've kind of seen the merit in how, they, how you do TV. When you first started out writing as a novelist, um, 
did you have a vision? Did you have some kind of end game? Did you ever think, I want to get into the New York Times bestsellers? Or, or was it simple as, I, I just want to write one book to see if I can do it? Well, I, wanted, I decided I wanted to write crime fiction, specifically crime fiction, not just I want to be a novelist. I wanted to write crime fiction when I was 19. And I, was, I didn't publish a book until I was 35. So it was like a long process and you know at those early stages first you want to see if you can accomplish it second you want to see if it can be published third you want to see if you can do it again and, and so forth so it's it's never a it's too much of a long shot proposition to ever be thinking about oh i'm gonna get, become a bestseller or i'm gonna hit the top of the charts or anything like that you know i i'd be lying if i didn't say i didn't think about that once i was established and things were going, going on, uh, going well, you know, you always want to, if you're a storyteller, if you have the ego of a storyteller, meaning you think the stories that you write should be read and heard and watched and so forth, then, you know, you do think about the larger scale of things as you go along. But, you know, when I'm writing my first book, there's, that's not even a concept. You know, the concept is, I hope this is a good book. I hope someone other than my mother will read it someday. <laughs> and you mentioned ego. Does it take a lot of ego to write? Is there, is there, you know, like we said, there's a bit of you in Harry Bosch. Is there a lot of you in, in, in all of your books? I, I guess so. I mean, I think it's impossible not to do that, uh, you know, not to put some of yourself in there. I don't know if that comes out of ego or it comes out of this is what I have, this is what I can reach, and this is what I can fold into a story. Um. But, you know, there, there has to be an ego. Harry Bosch has the ego that tells him that he's better and smarter and more relentless than any of the opponents that he comes up against. Opponents meaning killers who think they've gotten away with something. He needs that. That, that lights his fire, you know. And, and so I think from the writing standpoint, I go into it think believing that um, this book that I'm about to write or that I'm in the middle of writing or finishing, you know, should be published, should be celebrated, you know, should be read by everybody way more than whatever happens. But, you know, um, you, I think you got to do that. I mean, it's a long process. I mean, I'm actually a fast writer, but to me it's a long process to write one book a year um, to start with zero pages and zero words on the screen and know that, you need a hundred thousand of them and they got to be all connected and make sense and be thrilling and, and hit all the points that a reader wants in a book. It's a bit daunting at the beginning. What? And so I think it does take that kind of ego to, uh, yeah, it's a bit daunting, but I'm up to this task. And what, what happens on those days when you're just not feeling it, but you've got a deadline to reach, you've got to write those hundred thousand words. What, what compels you to keep going? Or do you? Do you take a day off? Uh, well, I think you, you know, I had a, this is like a basic, it's odd to say, like, I had a teacher who taught me this because every teacher, every writing teacher tells you this that if you're going to be a writer, you got to write every day, even if you only get 15 minutes in. So I do practice that. When I start a draft of a book, I write every day at least 15 minutes. So I'm done that draft and then I might take a week off and then I'll go back and rewrite. So it's not like I write every day of my life, but when I start a project, I write on it every day till I get it done. 
Um, and then, and sometimes it truly is only 15 minutes, um, because of things going on in your life or whatever, or, or hardships in the story. But if you hit a wall in the story, I don't think the answer is to take a day off. I think, uh, you know, mostly I, what I do is back up and rewrite and usually create a momentum that takes me through the stalled part. Do you write sequentially? Because I, I speak to some authors and they will sometimes write the fun bits first, the bits that they know are coming. But for you, is it very much starting at point A and moving through to point Z? Yeah, it's, it's A to Z for me. Um, you know, you know there'll be a great chapter ahead or a fun chapter. But jumping ahead to it, I think, to me, it's kind of like you got to, that's a reward if you get there. So don't skip a point. <laughs> get there, you know. Um, you know, fight your way through to get there, and there, then there's a reward when you get to that chapter that you've been, that you've known is sitting out there and going to be good to write. And if uh, if a writer was to come to you and you only had time to give them one single writing tip to inspire them to keep going, what would that be? It's, you know, so cliche, but the cliches are cliches because they're true. I mean, to me, it's like be relentless, write every day, let it take over your life. I hate to say it, but, you know, you got to sacrifice not complete relationships, but you have to put relationships on hold. The writing should always come first. Um, and then, you know, if you have a family, you find a balance because, you know, you can't sacrifice a family relationship but you know i i constantly uh, face battle in my own family because i work at home and it appears i leave a, lead a life of leisure that my wife or my kid <laughs> think i can just go do something and i constantly am saying no i'm working you know i work for a living and uh, i can't do that or i can't take off and do this and What's next for you, Michael? Um, just keeping my head down and, and continuing to to write. It's, you know, we talked earlier, it's the distractions that I fight now um, that keep me from being, you know, in a room by myself and, and writing. I just uh, always am. What's next is I'm always trying to find my way back to that room. And are you, what are you reading at the moment? Do you find much time to read at all? Do you read in fiction or outside of fiction? Um, when I, it's, a, it's a bad answer because it's to say like I never read is wrong, <laughs> but I read less and less because I can write at most times people are reading. You know, so on a plane, I don't read, I write. Um, you know, I don't really take vacations because I might be like in a Caribbean island somewhere, but I, I'm sitting there with my laptop. Um, <laughs> When I do, when I do have time to read, I, I would rather read nonfiction, biographies, things like that, that um, may have an inspirational effect on me. You know, reading about someone and how they create music somehow. Um, I have a huge collection of biographies of jazz musicians and something about the way they create music is, is inspiring to me in terms of... Uh, putting words on a page. Um, but, you know, I, I write crime fiction, so I got to keep my hand in crime fiction as well. So, I, you know, 
I dabble around and uh, yesterday I picked up a book um, by Steve Cavanaugh called The Plea, ah, yeah. um, you know, which is in the the realm of the Lincoln lawyer. So I want to read about that, uh, read what he's doing and, and uh, maybe there's something there that will inspire something with Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln lawyer guy, you know, you never know. So um, it's good to, uh, re- you know, be all over the place. I don't like re- religiously read any one author anymore because um, I don't have the time to do that and also see what's new out there. So when you when you read someone like Steve Kavanaugh on the please terrific book it's really good fun uh, real pacing stuff does it does it kind of make you think are you is it you know like in the western you got the old gunslinger and you got the young gunslinger comes into town is it a bit like that for you do you feel like you have to up your game No I mean it's it's interesting I think on the outside pe- pe- outside people think that um, all these writers are competitive and and it, you know the fact is no one reads just one book you know, a year, you know, so there's, there's room for all of us to be successful. And, and I think it's more of a encouraging type thing. So it, it's, I'm not going to read Steve's book and think I have to top this or something like that. Um, I'll read it and probably have good feelings that, uh, somebody else is, is doing this well. Michael Conley, thank you so much for your time. And wrong side of goodbye is available now. Isn't it incredible, Mark, to be speaking with someone who sold 60 million novels? I can't even begin to think about that. You know, you think of like a stadium and you think, you know, that would probably fill, I can't even imagine, 10, 20 stadiums. What an incredible story and what an interesting guy as well. I I really, you know, it's quite unique to speak to somebody who's, well, first, it's unique to speak to someone in the back of a cab, but uh, it's really interesting, his background as a journalist it seems like that that was a great kind of um, base for his novels. Editors will tell you that journalists and screenwriters make very good novelists because they're used to working to a deadline and they're used to taking notes and they're used to people just putting a big red pen through their precious work because they just shrug, okay, yeah, that's what I do in the day job anyway, so let's get on with it. I thought it was interesting that, you know, he... Because his his nonfiction book, Crime Beat, is um, a really compelling read, but it's kind of saddening because so much true crime doesn't have a happy it doesn't have a proper resolution in the way that a, yeah. a satisfying crime novel does so it does seem to me he's addressing the balance there by taking harry bosch out into the world who is this incredible smart cop and and bringing the bad guys to justice you know and um the thing with Michael as well, you know, 60 million copies sold, but he's still writing good books. There are a lot of authors out there, as I've said before, but sometimes, you know, they, they kind of write the same book every time. Um, but with with Michael, with the Harry Bosch books in particular, you know, they're kind of in real time. They reflect a changing America, you know. So if you read one of his books from 15, 20 years ago, they're going to be very different to the kind of book you're reading now. And that's what's really fascinating. Harry Bosch is growing with the times. They're kind of set in real time. Mm. It was really interesting to hear him say about how that unfinished nature of a book is actually quite essential to to keep hold of the fact that he you know as a journalist he he had this big file with all these unsolved cases yeah. which were probably i mean fantastic fodder to go into when you're looking for ideas for stories but i love the way he said about how you 
shouldn't ever leave everything nicely, neatly tied up in a bow. It's the first time I've come across that. Have you, have you heard that before? Well, it's interesting because I, I read his books. I really enjoy his books. They do have a reality to them in that they're, you know, it's not like Scooby-Doo where, ah, you're the guy who did it and off you go to jail. It's the guy at the fun fair. <laughs> exactly. Old man Simpkins. Uh, and he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for the meddling kids. But with these, there is a kind of reality to them as well, especially with his other character, Mickey Haller, who was the Lincoln, first book was the Lincoln lawyer. And he, Mickey Haller appears in the Bosch books now. And, you know, he has, he's that wheeler dealer, le- legal lawyer kind of guy who's always trying to make a deal. And, you know, it's sometimes the, I mean, in a couple of books, you know, that the felon does kind of get away with it, but there's always some other price to pay. So if the law doesn't get you, you know, something else will. But I think, again, that's the journalist in in him. He knows not to tell just a pat story. And if he, uh, Michael comes from that great American crime writing tradition where the good guys don't always win, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's what, that's what keeps his books fascinating, I think. And his his stories are it's it sounds like damning with faint praise, but they're they're easy to read. They're page turners, you know. They're they're unpretentious, uh, and what's compelling are the characters and the crimes, you know. So it's uh, that's that's why he's so successful. People, this is a classic holiday read, Michael Conley. You know, you, you think, uh, okay, I'm going on holiday. I want a really good page turning novel. I want something that's going to be fun. You, you pick up a Conley. We also yeah. got we also got a really interesting glimpse into the world of a super successful author in that it yeah. became, you know, it was quite interesting to hear actually how it does, you know, we all dream of being that author that, that sells 60 million copies of a book. I mean, I dream of being an author that will sell 60 copies of our book. <laughs> <laughs> Easy but, tiger. But uh, I do think that we got quite an insight there into the yeah. challenges of being super successful. It's that like- was absolutely fascinating to me because what seems to have happened to him because he started writing when he was a journalist. He, like, like a lot of writers, like myself, you know, he's got a day job and you write around the day job. And then he's gone through a period when he's been able to quit the day job and write full time. And then he's become incredibly successful. So he has to do all this legwork, traveling the country, traveling the world, uh, dealing with distractions. And when he said the word distractions, I was thinking, oh, he means me. <laughs> <laughs> he pushes you out the cat yeah, door. Yeah. <laughs> so he's having to deal with distractions, you know. So, in some ways, it's like he's got a day job again. You know, he's having to cope with the 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 success, the admin side, if you like, of of success. But but and it, this is crucial. And this is for anyone out there who's writing. He says, "Oh, I haven't got the time." Fifteen minutes. Yeah, he says, "If he gets 15. 15 minutes, no excuses, people. If Michael Connolly can write a bestseller in a year with fifteen minutes to spare, then then you can, my friend. Absolutely. Well, you think yeah. about how much time we spend writing emails each day. That that's probably at least fifteen <laughs> minutes in my case. Sometimes hours and hours. But yeah. I think that was great. The fact that he said he does. You know, we talk about the writer every day. I think we, we this is becoming such a theme. We have to give it an acronym, and I've come up with a WED. Right every day. Wait, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be our new, our new phrase. But what he did say, which I found interesting, is for him it's about almost like a, a ritual he has to write every day when he's on his project. And he might take a few weeks off, but it's almost like sacrilege to miss a day if he's on the project. He has to keep on writing because he knows that that will get him past the finish line. 
And and he's writing on very vacation. He's writing on the move. He's had to learn how to write in cars and on planes. And I write on the train every day to work, you know, and write on the train back. Um, Terry Pratchett used to do this, and he used to do really extensive author tours. I mean, he'd spend a month promoting his book going around the country. Mm. But he'd have a he'd have a driver, and he'd be in the back with his laptop tapping away and that's how Ter- I mean Terry did two books a year if you can get your head down and write wherever you are then that's just going to add to your word count well and in some ways I think we're really lucky in today's kind of world where we have iPads and be able to have a laptop you know you think about 10 20 30 years ago even that that wouldn't have been possible apart from you know having to get your lag- legs amputated if you had some kind of computer on them <laughs> the now, now the- mark mark this is this is showing your your techno uh joy here because <laughs> you remember we talked about chalk and slate well there is a thing called pen and, and paper and, i guess and yeah. pen and paper yeah, yeah but but, but in terms of you know look look at look at michael's problem that he has he has he's got so many things that he has to do he has to go to tv um tv meetings where they're talking about plots and so for him, i think anyone writing on something that isn't electronic is giving themselves a lot of extra work but saying that i guess you probably have you could have someone like barbara cartland who could who could kind of you know have an editor or a transcriber that would do it for them <laughs> Well, he did talk about, and again, I, I guess this is an old journalist trick as well. He did talk about phoning the story to someone who would then type it down, because that's mm. what journalists do. They go to a press conference, they get, they run to the phone and say, "Okay, here's here's the headline from from this press conference or whatever." You know, back yeah. in the day. Um, so yeah, he he gets on the phone to someone. I guess he has an assistant who, you know, I've had an idea. Write this down. I mean, I do a thing where I'll email myself if I'm out and about, and and I, an idea occurs to me. I've got my phone. I'll just email that so I don't forget it. Yeah, a lot of people use voicemail as well. They'll leave themselves a voicemail message, which is quite a neat idea as well. Yeah, I tend to. I've I've tried that, and they tend to be oh, right in, in the final in the final act. This needs to happen, and then, uh, 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 and then uh, uh, oh, bollocks! I've got the best idea ever. It's, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's inspiring that you know. 15 minutes a day there, there are no excuses and i think the idea is if you can if you do 15 it's like it's like weeding in the garden i'm a big mm. gardening fan and if i do the, the fatal sin on your way back to the house and you see a little weed in the garden and you pluck it then you just can't stop you know you're there mm. on your knees two hours later your missus is saying are you coming in for dinner oh, i'm just trying to get this one and i think it's probably the same for writing if you can actually just show up even trick yourself into just 15 minutes once you get started then maybe that 15 might turn into half an hour into an hour two hours and you know who knows what might happen and the, the other the other really top tip he gave and this is this is really handy if you ever get stuck and i do this all the time he's talking about just backing up and rewriting and then you create a momentum so if you get to you know you, you could be in that muddy middle you could be kind of stuck and you kind of think well, what happens next so go back 20 pages, go back to the beginning of the chapter or the previous chapter, just go through that, rewrite little bits. And as you go, you'll find you're building momentum. You're getting faster and faster and faster. Your writing comes more and more easily. And then by the time you get to that bit where you were stuck, you're thinking, oh yeah, of course, this is what happens. Tapper, tapper, tapper. And you go straight through. And I do that all the time. That's, the you know, time. and I've never heard of that technique before. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. Yeah. It kind of, it's almost like a kind of a warm up, a warm up stretch before you go for your run. Absolutely. And I found it interesting as well that he, you know, even even 30, uh, 39 novels in, he's used the word daunting every time he starts with a blank page. And and mm-hmm. even though he's a fast writer, he still, you know, takes him a year to write and just reminds me of the incredible commitment to the craft that these authors 
dedicate themselves to. Yeah, and he's and up till recently he said he'd always started with just a blank page, you know. Whereas now he now he's worked with some TV people. He started out like now that was fascinating, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. After after twenty books, you know, he started started outlining, and that's uh, it's you know I I do you know a lot of best selling authors. I think you know if you talk to the likes of maybe Martina Cole or Ian Rankin, I, when I've asked them about this, they they've said the same thing, which is no, we we just go straight in because mm. they can't they. They know what they're doing, you know. Yeah. Whereas when I started out, I outlined. I'm now getting to a point where I have a rough outline, but I kind of there's a part of me that almost wants to jump in. I'm not sure if I can do it yet, you know. And it will involve a lot of rewriting. But um, well, that's the trade-off, isn't it? You never quite know. I guess it mm. depends if you're if you if you're not a plotter, if you're someone that's a pantser who kind of just dives in and starts writing. I guess the big tr- the big challenge could be that if something massive comes along. And that's like an earthquake that changes everything that you've kind of previously written. And there's a huge amount of rewriting to do. Let's, um, shall we do question of the week? Yeah, good point, actually. Because this is is from Lawrence, Lawrence Doherty, who sent us in this question, which he says, how important is it to plan out the plot of a book before writing? He said, my online episodic novel, Power Surge... Good title, Lawrence, like it. Uh, Began with just one chapter and a vague idea, but as I wrote more, it took me to places I would never have imagined at the start, including the ending, which I've yet to write, hence my fascination with your podcast. Thank you, Lawrence. Is it okay to explore an idea or should we plan each beat or are both approaches okay? Well, you know, I mean, the the glib answer is whatever works for you. I mean, when I when I work in screenwriting, very often you need to supply an outline because there are people, financiers, uh, producers, who want to know what the hell the film's going to be about. So, screenwriting involves a lot of outlining uh, and doing synopses. And I guess that you know, as we've spoken to say Shannon you know she she outlines because she finds that when she gives it to her editor the editor spots maybe a, a flaw in the storyline that Shannon hadn't spotted yeah but then you you get people who jump in with both feet and I, I've kind of discussed this uh, on a previous podcast where the my the fantasy novel I've been working on uh, I had everything outlined but there was one character where I found the outline was just a bit dull it wasn't surprising me so I, I completely abandoned it and it it did, as Lawrence says, it, it took me to places that I would never have gone to otherwise. What, so, what's really interesting as well, though, is you know, Michael is is living proof that you can be both, and even as the same author. I mean, he he said he used to not really do much outlining or plotting, and he's obviously written a lot of books that way. But now he does go down the route of of plotting in more depth. And I think, you know, I, I was at a writers' meeting last night in my group, and and what I find really fascinating is people define themselves either as a plotter or a pantser and right. they they very much def, you know they get quite defensive if someone questions whether their approach is is not the right approach and you're right it, i think it's whatever suits you but my i mean let's talk quickly about what we're doing in our book right now mark because we're in that phase and yeah we're, we're outlining heavily and, and but... actually i did i was somebody said you're not talking enough about your book on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> so you know i think you know in terms of how we've approached it we're in this massive really in-depth plotting right now we haven't actually put really a single word of the actual book down but we've got what is it a th- well, 35 no, I, I... pages of synopsis so far 
But I did today. That's the thing. I started. Uh, ah. I mean, what, the thing we have. I mean, we have outlined this, and we have an ending. And I think even if we didn't outline, I'd still want to have an ending. I'm still wanting yeah. to have some kind of idea resolution. But actually, today, and I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but I. I took one of our early scenes with two of our characters interacting with it, with each other and I basically wrote a scene. Mm. Uh, now, whether or not we keep that, you know, as it is, and I'm sure we won't, I'm sure it will get rewritten, it will change and it will evolve, but it was just fun, me having these two characters talk to each other fight and conflict with each other and it's a great way to find out who your characters are. Yeah. And uh, it's part of the outlining process, I guess. It know, almost feels uh, in some ways like our book started off as a bit of a, you know, we talk, talked about kind of major, major points in the book, turning points and, and looking at it in kind of acts, breaking it up into acts. And then we started filling out a bit more detail. And then we thought, oh, we've got this big, massive gap. You know, we've got what we felt was a really strong beginning and a good kind of flow into the story then and then a fantastic kind of ending and then this big kind of oh how do we get between you know point c and and do you know why that that sort of big middle is where you find out the most about your character who they really that's where you test your character and you find out who they really are and the reason we couldn't do that is because we didn't know who they are yet yeah we we hadn't got to know them we had an idea of who they are their their foibles and the challenges they would face but until you sit down and get in the nitty-gritty uh, of of the you know the, the 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 conversation the dialogue the action and putting your character in that situation you don't always know how they're going to react and you'll get surprised by that and i think that's why yeah outline do outline but don't be a slave to it you know be prepared to go off the path yeah. because you know sometimes going off the path is going to you know, you, well, you're going to find a, something absolutely yeah. fascinating. You might, you might find your way back onto the path, but you've made the journey more interesting by finding a, a kind of a little alleyway or a detour. And one yeah. thing that happened to me, which is really interesting, is that working on part of the what's going to happen in the middle and didn't really know where to go with it and then thought of a new character. And it was fascinating to see how that new character suddenly... Yeah gave gave us a hundred different options and i and it was weird it was a saturday morning and i was sitting there with my ipad and i'd, I'd never think about writing on an ipad and yet eight hours later i almost like lost myself in this story <laughs> and i'd written four thousand words of basically outline on an ipad and i couldn't believe what happened has that ever happened to you before you just kind of like disappear into a world and you you don't even realize you haven't had lunch or even breakfast yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I, I always eat. You know, we talked about self-care in that number, Rhymo. <laughs> I, I never miss oh, a tea God. break or a biscuit or a lunch break. But yeah, yeah I, that's, a, that's a really good sign. That means you're really in the zone there, you know, that you get complete. And, and if you go away from it, uh, have a cup of tea and you come back and it's like, yeah, 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 let's get back into it. You know, yeah. that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll give you, we'll, we'll start to give you a few more updates about the book. Obviously, we're not revealing um, much about what the book's about yet because obviously that's all going to come much closer to the release date of the book but we will be giving you kind of updates as to the kind of phases that we're going through because i think everyone funnily enough i did pitch it to someone someone we interviewed yesterday really i I didn't know about this go on yeah and it's the first time i pitched it to anyone who knows nothing about it and do do i want to hear this (laughs) yeah yeah when it got to the bit where she walks in the room and sees that young woman, you know, the bit we're talking about? Yes. She, she gasped. She went, oh. I was like, yes. Is it a good it gasp? Works. Yeah, good gasp. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very good. 
Wow, that's really interesting because we were doing, uh, I was actually, I did a workshop a couple of weeks ago about pitching your ideas to an editor because there was a big conference over here in Vancouver and you had like five minutes to pitch a story and it was fascinating to see how challenging it can be to actually pitch a story. But uh, interesting to hear that you've had a decent feedback. Wow. Yeah, things yeah, you learn on a podcast, good. Mark, honestly. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, Michael Conley talked about the ego of the storyteller. You need to be able to put yourself out there. As Maria Semple said uh, in an episode that we haven't actually edited. <laughs> um, but when we interviewed her, she talked about putting herself you know, out there, that very personal, emotional, raw self. And, you know, when you pitch something, you it's like telling a joke and you really have no idea if the joke's going to be funny. And we've all been Ooh, there. Yes. You know, you start well, telling we, a joke and you think, oh, God, the punchline's weak, the punchline's yeah. weak, you know? Well, you can't remember the punchline and then yeah. and then you have that. Yeah. And it's it's really true. I, I've spoken to a few people who've, who've self-published and they've, honestly, they have not even wanted to put it on their Facebook page that they've put a book out there. And it's, it's a huge challenge because how do you get word out about your book if, if you can't step out and then say to the world, I wrote this. And, and I think I go back to music. I always like to bring a music analogy in, but I remember Chris Martin once saying from Coldplay, he said they, they were in a rush to get an album out. And he said there was one track on there which he, well, he can't listen back to it. He thinks it's just the worst thing they ever wrote. And if he could, he would remove it from their back catalog. Well, that's up against some stiff competition. Hey! <laughs> hey I'm a, I'm a ma- Oi, easy. <laughs> Big Coldplay fan this end. But um, oh, I love Coldplay. They're awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but the, the interesting thing is, is that it's, you know, it's okay to look back at what you've done in the past and say, in fact, I'm getting into the minute motivation there, so I'm going to dive straight into that. Go for it. It's okay to go look back into the past and look at some of your work and not be particularly happy with it. Honestly, I look back at some of the first things I did in music and they are cringeworthy, like laughable, but they were a stepping stone. And so I think we have to rejoice in the fact that we grow as writers and the fact that if we look at stuff that we wrote even last week or last year or 10 years ago and we see the difference then that's a positive thing because we've actually got better as a writer if the the, the thing that'd be more worrying in some ways is if we look back at our work 10 years ago and we thought yeah that's actually really good <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so so i'm going to say to everyone who's written a book and has not really pushed it because they think it's absolutely terrible Rejoice in the fact that you're noticing that you are a much better writer today because that's the gift that that book was to you. It's a stepping stone on the road to success as a writer. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Stay? Oh, completely. I mean, just Michael said he started writing when he was 19 and he wasn't published till he was 35. If he had been published when he was 19, he, he would probably be trying to burn every copy of the novel that was published because he will have advanced so much as a writer. I do worry sometimes, because, you know, you hear these news stories, uh, you know, a 17-year-old publishes novel, worldwide sensation, blah, blah, blah. You don't very often hear from them again. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a shame because it can kill their career before it's even begun. Some essential things to be a writer you, you need to have grieved you need to have loved and have your heart broken you need to have had a shitty boss you know you need to have experienced some really horrible things in order to become a writer and that's why most writers kind of hit their stride in their kind of mid 30s because around about then you've you've lived life a bit you know and this might sound like a grumpy old man which 
No, not I at all, Mark. <laughs> Which you auditioned. Cynical, grumpy old goat that I am. But, you know, I my daughter writes and I, I say to her, yeah, keep writing, keep writing. But the stuff you're writing now isn't going to get published, but you can only get better. Oh, but it might like take... a bit of encouragement there, Mark. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but... Uh, Which is really weird, bright- though. No, that's really yeah. interesting, though, because my daughter, who's, I think, a couple of years younger than yours, she's also already decided in her mind she wants to be an author. And I read her work and I take a completely different approach. I, I, I say to her that I think what she's doing at 14 is incredible. And I think, you know what, go for it. And I, I, I you know, she pitched to an agent at this conference the other day in, in Vancouver. Yeah, so the, it, the worst thing that can happen to her is if she's published as a teenager. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think, I think that now, now we, we might have to beg to diff, no, this is good. A bit of conflict. Well, a bit of conflict uh, on the show. But this, we're just letting you into the world of one of our writing sessions, by the way, folks. Yeah, <laughs> we, had a bit yeah. of, we had a bit of one yesterday where neither of us were budging on this one thing. We're like, no, no, I think. But, but let's put it this way. Is it about the person's age that's important or is it about how they approach the situation? Because I think, you know, at what point does a, does, a, does a teenager become an adult? And why is it that when they become an adult, it's okay to be published when it's not okay to be published as a teenager? Well, you know, if they're writing from the experience of being a teenager and writing about teenage life and it's truthful and honest, then that's great. That's a valid story, you know. Uh, you, but literature, the history of literature is littered with the corpses of careers of teens who were published too soon. Uh, yeah, totally agree with you. It's a bit like the, the child actor that is almost burnt out by the time they've even, not even reached the end of their teenage life. But I think I tend to think look at every individual as as unique and and when we talk about now interestingly you come from the traditional publishing world so when you talk about published you're probably talking about traditionally published as opposed to yeah, self-published. Yeah. And, I mean self-publishing fill your boots, you know. I think so. Can, yeah, because the other it's, thing pro- is you, it's practice, you, isn't it? Right? It's yeah, like, and you can delete that. You You can delete it, but you also learn the process, which is actually one of the big things we're going to be going through. Like, how do you actually publish a book? The marketing, I would encourage teenagers to go get published, but self-published is an absolutely brilliant way to start. And actually it's the way to go now, because then if you, if you do get success, now there's a question for you. If you did get success self-published, should you then sign true traditional or should you keep self-publishing until you're an adult? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the th- that's the thing, the, the pressure, the expectation and the public face that you get from being published by traditional publishing just increases, you know, the, your visibility and the, the kind of criticism you're going to get. And, uh, you know, your failure, if it happens, will be all the more visible. Whereas if you're self-publishing, I mean, I started failure, failure builds success, Mark. You have to be, you have to fail. And I know it, it can be a problem at a very young age because it can, and it, I mean, it's bad enough failing as an adult and getting Yeah, but I failed very quietly in my local theatre. I wrote a play after play after play and, you know, we would have 30, 50 people come to each showing. Yeah. And none of those plays were great, but each one got better and better and I learned my craft that way. And that yeah. was when I was in my late 20s, early uh, early 30s. Um, you know, and before that I was writing at home and, and, you know, failing quietly on my own, but learning all the time. Learning. Now, if you, if you do your learning in public... Uh, then it's it's if you, the knockbacks are all the bigger, you know the the the, the wave of criticism you'll get could 
killer career before it's even started. Yeah, you know, it's a, not not everyone's as forthright and de- determined as you because right. you know and there are there are writers are generally very insecure, very anxious people. And I think it's better to learn your craft. It's what we said before about not sending the book out before it's ready either. You know, and if you're putting stuff out there when you're a teenager and it's not ready, and people will, you you know what the internet's like, people will go, this is shit. And if you're 17 or 18, dealing with this is shit, you can't always deal with that. You, You might not have the mental faculties to deal with that properly, and it kills your career before it's even got anywhere. And I think you do. You have to live life. You have to toughen up. You have to get a bit of a, a thick skin. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, go for it, but be prepared for a bit of a kicking once you put it out there. I, I love this. I love the fact that we are so opposite ends of the spectrum it's beautiful yin and yang <laughs> well, that's, that's and I, i'm on the I, show i'm i'm the voice of cynicism no but i also like this i think it's i and i want to say i totally respect where you're coming from and i totally get what you're saying and i'm not not in any way saying what you're saying is right or wrong but i just come from a very different world because when i when we have when we have dinner together i sit down with my family and i say right kids how did you fail today and I, I get them to tell me what they screwed up with. And we all, we all applaud them and we cheer them on and say, brilliant. Because for me, failure, I mean, look at every successful author. I mean, been there before with, you know, the things like JK Rowling. Failure is actually part of the learning, even as an adult, yeah, like JK I totally Rowling. Agree. We wouldn't I have totally Harry agree, Potter if it you're wasn't doing, for failing. You're doing, no, yeah. But she didn't fail in public. She, she was learning her craft all the time leading up to Harry Potter. Oh, no, I'm, talking about, the, I'm talking about the rejection. She's, she kept getting rejection after rejection yeah, and she yeah, yeah, kept yeah. going through the She failure. would also have written novels before that that weren't any good, you know? And my yeah, worry... I'm, I'm wondering what, because I've always wondered about what did she do before Harry Potter? Because I, I don't know any of the backstory. Anyway, that's for another episode, I think. But mm-hmm. I think, well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing that we disagree on this because like I say to people in music... Uh, if we all like the same music, what a boring, dull place the world would be. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's the spice. It'll all come out in the novel, guys. Don't you worry about it. This is going to be great. <laughs> but um, I, I think one thing that we didn't fail on this week, which was great, was we started using Scrivener as a shared file. And we talked about this last week about how I managed to open up Scrivener on my PC, even though Mark had done it in the Mac. And what I found really fascinating this week is that we were actually using, we had to work out how we were going to share this. So we put it on in Dropbox. And I've done this before with music where I've shared files with another composer. And we get all kinds of problems because if anyone's ever used Dropbox before, if you, if, you, if you open a file while someone else is opening it, you get all kinds of conflicts. And Scrivener actually has a built-in feature that I discovered completely by accident this week, which is when I try to open the Scrivener file that Mark was actually working on at the same time, it gave, Scrivener actually came up the window and said, this, this file is currently locked as someone else is working on it. That, in my book, is a genius part of the software. Because yeah, it saved our bacon today because I, um, sadly, left the file open on my laptop so Mark couldn't get in there. So I got an email from Can I get into the, the, the file, please? So, you know, otherwise you'd have been gleefully working well, away, overwriting everything. It, it over, exactly, because you know? if, yeah. if it was a Microsoft Word file, we'd have been basically overwriting each other's work. And could you imagine, mm. oh, the, the anguish pain so this piece of software has really really been thought through and it's a joy to work with so if you haven't tried it uh, please do get along to their website
chitchatandlatte.com. Try it for the 30-day free trial. And and when you start collaborating as we are, and maybe you get an editor who's a Scrivener user as well, that feature is going to save your bacon. So thank you, Scrivener, for, for you know thinking from the writer's perspective. It's absolutely awesome stuff. So Mark, do you want to tell us about how the book's going, The Writer's Vault of Gold? Well, of course, we're going to add Michael Connolly to this now. So all, all his genius will be in there for free for you to download. So just uh, come along to the website, uh, sign on to the bestseller list, which is our, our mailing list. And if you've got one already, just come along and update. It's, uh, you know, update to the, the latest version. Um, so there's some great stuff to come. We will have on there, you know, people like Jarba Crombie and Maria Semple and Michelle Paver. And it's just, it's just fantastic. So subscribe, uh, join the mailing list just get on board because this is all free it's all free people and it's like uh it's like the university of writing excellent stuff now don't forget as well we're going to as we're going to be doing nano specials so if you're in the process of currently trying to write fifty thousand words in a month look out for our midweek specials that will be coming out and um, we've got a special coming up uh in a few weeks with grant faulkner again who's going to help people who are hitting that what we call the muddy middle which is that point where you basically hit the wall and think about giving up and that you know is a is good advice whether you're doing something like NaNoWriMo or Remo we have to work out which way we say that don't we Mark <laughs> I always said Rimo, but we all need help and it doesn't matter whether you're doing it in a month or you're listening to this and you're in the middle of your novel and you're spending a year doing it like we are uh, there's always that kind of middle brick walls so the advice that we get from grant is great uh, so do check in for that and also if you're listening on itunes or if you haven't done already please do subscribe rate and review we so appreciate all the incredible reviews that you're putting in thank you so much for that brilliant and reviews. yeah we really do appreciate it. it keeps keeps us going and uh we we do enjoy to reading them we do read everyone so please do pop along there and let us know how you're getting on with your book. If you're coming on this journey with us, drop us a line on Facebook uh, at Bestseller Experiment or Twitter is at Bestseller XP. Uh, we've got all the quotes from our authors up on Pinterest and, and the books that they've written as well. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at Bestseller XP too. Absolutely. And don't forget, if you've got a question for us, you can go to the Facebook site, any of the social media sites or the website bestsellerexperiment.com. And we should also mention that we do have this special giveaway book as well for people who are going through the 50,000 word goal right now with some extra special tips. So if you haven't been to the website yet, do get there because we've also got some really cool little extras that we haven't put on the podcast, which you can listen to as well, such as the, the five tips every writer should know. Um, analyzing Breaking Bad, which is something Mark and I did as a special uh, just last week. So to do pop along. There's a lot of great content on the website as well. So until next week, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic week writing. And Mark, it's goodbye from... Goodbye from Mark Squared. That's what Brian Cranston called us. So, so we, we are Mark, Mark squared. squared. There we go. Yeah. And we don't have to argue anymore, even though, even though it's good to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I'm Mark. not saying it's not bad to fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. All I said was, don't get published when you're a teenager. I'm not saying it's not bad.